What's happening, everybody? Welcome in to another edition of Texans Matchup. I am your host, John Harris, sideline reporter for your Houston Texans, and so glad for you to be with me this evening because we get to do Texans Matchup after a win. Now, here's, well, you know how Matchup works. I do it after every single game, no matter what, but I never do it after the last game of the season. So we won the last game of the season. So I didn't get to do a Texas matchup after the win over the Indianapolis Colts, which if you heard Brevin Jordan, you realized maybe that was a better thing than people expected or thought at the time. It's turned out to be very good for many reasons, but the point being, I didn't do matchup after that. It was after the win against the Titans. That was the last one that I've been able to do, but today ends that bad streak and starts a good one hopefully um, as we are going to break down the alternate 11 moments of the win over the Jacksonville Jaguars in Duval County 37 to 17 a true team victory if there ever was one you'll hear more names in the ultimate 11 tonight than maybe I've ever had in an ultimate 11 um, and it was it was plays made by multiple players at the same time um, one play I can think of, it was three key guys. Three guys that uh, weren't even starters uh, starting the season and aren't starters. Uh, but they are so key to this team's existence right now um, that came together on one play. Uh, two guys that are uh, considered backups on the depth chart that made a massive play. One was a practice squad call-up. One is a 35-year-old legend. And it was just a team victory all the way, so that was fantastic. Plus, it's J.J. Watt Day on Sunday against the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, I'm bringing back a conversation that Mark and I did. And I went back through the conversation, and I kind of I kind of did it matchup style. I kind of jazzed it up with a lot of the, the, the calls that Mark made for the great plays that J.J. made. The memorable plays that J.J. made his career. I thought about doing like a whole retrospective, but I needed probably three hours. Because I started going through it. And I went through 2012. I'm like, oh my God, I've got, I've got enough here to do an hour on half of 2012. So I went and found that conversation that we had back in June when it was announced that October 1st would be J.J. Day. And uh, we brought that back, spiced up a little bit. We'll have that for you in the next segment. And then we'll take a quick run around week three of the NFL and holy cow, it was unbelievable in Miami. I watched that game on Monday when I got back because I had to see it. I had to see what 70 points looked like in a game. And, well, it looked exactly like I expected. It was unbelievable by the Miami Dolphins. So uh, we'll relive that a little bit. But we got to get to this ultimate 11. I've kind of danced around it. So let's go and start at number 11 with one of the key plays in the first half. And it's going to sound like a very simple completion, right? Well, to set it all up, the Texans have got the ball late in the first half, up 14 to nothing, looking to put a few more points up on the board if they could. And so on third down, C.J. Stroud threw to Tank Dell. I don't think Tank was ultimately the number one wide receiver, and so Tank was all the way by the sideline. So initially, well, take a listen to what happened. Texans have a third down and six. At the Houston 38-yard line, C.J. will do his best. He's in the gun. Two receivers stacked wide side left. Singletary in the backfield with Stroud. C.J. takes the snap. C.J. throwing right sideline. Got his man. Dell out of bounds. First down. Houston at the 45-yard line. They're going to say he's out of bounds. He got pushed as the ball went into the breadbasket. 
and apparently didn't keep the feet down. We're waiting on a replay. They won't show on, a, on the big video board here. After reviewing the play, the receiver controlled the ball and got two feet inbounds. That's a catch. It was okay. right at the line to gain, which is the 44-yard line. It'll be first and 10 from there. 32 seconds on the game clock. 32. That tiny little toe caught just enough of the Duval County Everbank Stadium grass, and it gave the Texans a first down. That was a double whammy for Jacksonville. Not only was it complete, Tank had enough for the first down. It came in at number 11 because there's so many great plays, but it was key because a few plays later, the Texans were able to kick a field goal and take a 17-0 lead on into the half. But a great play there by Tank Dell, who was outstanding. Uh, I got a feeling you're going to hear a little bit more from that man and his quarterback, C.J. Stroud. All right, let's get to number 10. And this is one of those plays I was talking about a little while ago. The defense against the Indianapolis Colts going back a week, yeah, not great. Didn't generate any TFLs, didn't generate any quarterback hits or sacks or anything. Um, I think there were two quarterback hits, and they were both Will Anderson. So the defense had to rise up. And I remember before the game, I was kind of floating around on a field and just kind of taking in the scene. And I just I sensed a different energy. And it kind of started with the defensive the linemen. I was listening to the defensive linemen. They were kind of, you know, really jovial and, you know, really excited. You know, part of that had to do with John Grenard's uh, wife. Um, who uh, was going to have a baby on uh, Sunday night. And so JG was there, and they were excited about that. And so there just felt like there was a little bit more energy involved, and I, I, just, I loved it. And it really came through with two guys. One guy, 35 years old, still getting it done in the NFL. One guy was a practice squad call-up who won a world championship with the USFL in July. That's Jerry Hughes and Khalil Davis at number 10. They combine for this TFL. First down at the Texans 22. Now they go offset with a pistol and a handoff here to ETN. And the Texans are all over it for a loss. A TFL by Houston. Khalil Davis and Jerry Hughes getting back there. And the Texans had no TFLs against the Colts last week at NRG Stadium. Good start here on this set of downs after the big play to Ingram, ball backed up to the 24-yard line. It's second down and 12. All right, let's get to number nine. Number nine comes in three parts because there were three key plays. We played, I guess what would have been the fourth play of that mix was Tank making the catch on the sideline on the final drive of the first half. But there were three plays that followed, and I'm putting them right here at number nine. One, first play, or A, was a throw to Robert Woods. Third down and one at the Jacksonville 47-yard line. Here's the snap to C.J. C.J. fires, caught by Woods inside the 40 down to the 39-yard line. The Texans have to burn another timeout. Perfect. Timeout, Houston. Perfect. Four seconds. 30 seconds. Yeah, Dre was captured right there. They only spent four seconds, but they picked it up on the throw to Woods, and that would lead to B, this throw from C.J. Stroud to Nico Collins. Second down and 10 at the Jaguar 39-yard line. Texans right back to it. Bunch formation. Wide side left, Stroud empty backfield now after a motion by Singletary. C.J. takes the snap. C.J. looking right over the middle. He goes. He hits Nico. 30, 25, breaks a tackle. 20, 15. Nico down to the 10-yard line. Three seconds to go. They got to burn that final timeout. He almost made it. He split the defense and almost came through clean. It was right there where... I saw D'Amico Ryan's right in front of me, and this is why I asked him at halftime how his hamstrings were. He sprinted down from the coach's box 
to get the attention of the referee with about three seconds left, and he was flying down there. And it led to three from Kaimi, and that's 9C. 28-yard attempt here for Fairbairn, left hash mark. Three seconds to go, 14-0 lead, Houston. Fairbairn trying to send the Texans into the locker room. Three-score lead. Yep. John Weeks will snap. Zetner will hold. Left hash mark spot, 28-yard kick. Here's the snap. Fairbairn's kick is up, and Fairbairn drills it as the Texans lead the Jaguars 17-0 as time expires in the first half. Let them have it. What a first half by D'Amico Ryan's Houston Texans. All those boos sounded so lovely. I mean, that was just incredibly nice to hear. A home team that wasn't us getting booed off the field. That was great. All right, let's get to number eight. And it was planting the stake in the ground and Damian Pierce scoring his first touchdown of the year to give the Texans a 7-0 lead. Second and goal from the one. Eye formation. Here's Pierce running left. Pierce to the goal line. Pierce is in. Touchdown, Houston. Yes, sir. That was the Ocho Damian Pierce scoring from one yard out, just as he did last year to give the Texans a lead in the game in 2022. That was a W. It gives them the lead here, 7-0. However, the Texans would score way more than 13 on this day. Now, how did they get to the one-yard line? Well, I'm glad you asked. The first drive of the game for the Texans, a three-and-out and a brutally bad three-and-out. I just thought, oh, boy. But the defense came out and got a stop after a McManus miss. That gave the Texans great field position after the miss. Eventually, you would have C.J. Stroud looking deep. Now, should he have been looking deep? Who knows? But the Jaguars the Jaguars blew this coverage. They Rayshon Jenkins, I think, was supposed to be deeper, but he was messing around down by the box. And Tank Dell just ran by everybody. C.J. Stroud saw him and dropped this one from the heavens. It comes in at number seven. Second down and seven from the 48 of the Jags. Stroud fakes the give. Now guns long downfield, and he wants Tank Dell. And Dell has the catch inside the one-yard line. Stop there. Big play to Tank Dell. That was number seven from the heavens, from number seven to number three to the one where the Texans would lead by seven a few plays later. (laughs) How about all that? That was pretty good. All right, let's get to number six. And this is one of these plays that I was talking about earlier. The Texans were without Denzel Perryman, and they were without Jalen Petrie. Those are two starters on this team. So this play is an amalgamation, I guess, of three different players that weren't starters going in but have become very – important complimentary pieces on this defense. And they all started on Sunday and all did incredibly well. This was a third down throw from, I think it was a third down or second down throw, but it was near the end of the first half. Jaguars were down 14 to nothing. They started to drive. Jamal Agnew was a lone receiver in a three-by-one set. So he was on the left side. So he was running kind of a deep glance route. And Trevor ripped one to him, hit him right in the chest with the ball. As he started up the field, rookie Henry Toa Toa grabbed him around the leg, started to spin him, so he really, you know, kind of was losing his balance a little bit. Eric Murray came in and dropped the hammer. They knocked the ball out. It was recovered by Blake Cashman. The Texans would then go down and kick a field goal right at the end of the half. 
This was a three-point saving play. It was by three guys that have been instrumental for this defense and were instrumental on Sunday and will continue to be. This is a fumble forced by Henry Toa Toa and the hit by Eric Murray and the recovery by Blake Cashman. Third down and 10 at the Houston 45-yard line. Big down to say the least here with a minute 13 to go in the second and a 14-0 Houston lead. Trevor Lawrence, shotgun, bunch formation, wide side right, one back ETN. Agnew, short side left, got to watch the screen to him. Lawrence takes the snap. Here's pressure. Lawrence firing over the middle. He got a man at the 30-yard line. The ball is out, and the Texans pick it up. They've got the rock at the 33-yard line, the takeaway by the Texans. Big hit by Eric Murray on the back end. And Blake Cashman recovers the fumble. What a shot by Murray. Yeah, I got to say this about Eric Murray real fast, because I know when Eric Murray signed, there was so many, there was so much noise about it here uh, in Houston back in the COVID year of 2020. So much noise. And I really don't think that Eric Murray has received his just due, to be honest with you. He started the first couple of years, and last year he moved into a special teams backup role, and he played that role perfectly till the end of the year when, when they wanted to rotate the safeties a little bit. Eric came in. And did his thing. And he's done the same thing here. When Jalen Petrie went down, Eric Murray stepped in. And when he went out of the game against the Colts, you could tell how much this defense was missing Eric Murray. And he came through with big plays all day against the Jacksonville Jaguars. I give props to guys like that. That they just do whatever job they are asked to. And Eric Murray forever, to me, will be that guy. A guy that when asked to do something, he did it. Special teams, got it. Strong safety, got it. Free safety, got it. Nickel, got it. Linebacker, got it. Be a guy that backs up and, and brings energy, got it. Make big plays against Jacksonville, got it. Well, he, Toa Toa, and Cashman linked up on play number six. All right, let's get to play number five right here. And we go back to one of those three guys, and it was Blake Cashman playing his first game of the 2023 season. This was as a, big an interception as the Texans have had. B, it was as athletic an interception as the Texans have had. And C, it was probably the, the dagger, final dagger in the Jaguars this day. Blake Cashman comes in number five with this pick. Third and seven Jaguars at their 38. Lawrence in the gun. A back to his left, two receivers left side. Lawrence gets the snap. Texans showing pressure. Here's a throw over the middle. Picked off at the 50-yard line. Texans have it. Blake Cashman with the INT. All right, let's get to number four, and this one comes from four yards out. And I'd like to say, I don't want to use the word retribution, redemption. I don't know what you want to call it for Brevin Jordan, but it was just one badass cool moment for the third-year tight end out of the University of Miami, guy from Las Vegas. And what I loved about this play, a number of things. Number one, the fact that, that Brev scored. I love seeing it. He's got such a great smile, such a great energy. And when he's going well, I think this offense really could go to a, another level to have he and Dalton Schultz at tight end making plays like this. The other part of this play was preparation. And I remember doing a show with Seth Payne on Sports Radio 610. And it was after Bobby Slow came in hired as, as offense coordinator. One of the things that he remembered Bobby talking about was precision, how precise everything had to be. And with precision comes a lot of practice. I mean, you got to 
sometimes take a full period of practice to work on one particular thing. And that's what this was. I remembered the Texans running this play an entire period in practice in just individual. And so, you know, period practice is broken up different periods. And so at the beginning, you do a lot of individual work. So it's the units like DBs, linebackers, they're kind of off on their own. Then there's unit work where the DBs and linebackers work together. The O-line and the tight ends work together. And then there's teamwork at the end. So this is an individual period. And the quarterbacks, wide receivers, tight ends, running backs, were all working on this one play right here over and over and over and over again. And I remember thinking, okay, this is kind of interesting. I wonder how often they'll run this. Well, it happened right here on this throw to Brevin Jordan. It comes in at number four. Third and a long one inside the Jacksonville five. Stroud in the gun. Boone to his left. Dell in motion to the left. CJ takes the snap. Looking left. Throws that way. And it's caught. Touchdown, Brevin Jordan. Texans go up two scores to none on Jacksonville. And welcome back, Brevin, who played last week and cashes in for six this week. Brev's first touchdown of the year comes in at number four, and it gave the Texans a 14 to nothing lead. Now, let's rewind a little bit. When it was 7 to nothing, the Jaguars had got a little bit of a drive going just a few plays earlier, but it bogged down. The Texans' defense stopped them. It was time for a field goal attempt. Now, Brandon McManus had pushed the first one wide right, right over my head, just like he did in 2018 in Denver for the Texans to keep uh, alive their winning streak. This field goal never got close to being over my head because one Will Anderson Jr. knifed through and blocked it. And this play comes in at number three. It's fourth and every bit of three yards. And this is going to be a 51-yard attempt for Brandon McManus. He's already missed today. Right hash mark spot kick is up. It's blocked. And the Texans are on the move. Try to chase it. They can't get to it. Big scrum. Still battling for it. And Houston has the ball at the 41-yard line. They wanted to go on a run with it. Anderson could not scoop it up. But the Texans have the ball in Jack's territory after the blocked field goal. So how did three lead to four? Well, Will blocked it. Texans moved down, got it to the four-yard line. C.J. hit Brev. Complimentary football at its best. All right, let's get to number two, and it's 27-17. The Jaguars have landed some body blows in the second half on the Texans, but the Texans never backed down. Why? Well, because C.J. Stroud is scared of no man, and he had looked up at one point. <laughs> this is, I saw this in pregame, and I wondered if CJ would see this, what he would think. So I was on the field waiting for the team to come out at halftime. And at halftime, they were doing kind of a, an animated cartoon version of Jackson DeVille punching CJ Stroud. And it was like a rock'em, sock'em robots thing. And CJ happened to look up and see it and he, as he was coming on the field. And he turned to one of his teammates, and he was like, hey, look at the screen. And he just started chuckling. Well, it was CJ who would land the rock'em, sock'em blow right here with this 68-yard bomb on third down to Tank Dell to put the nail in the Jaguars' coffin. Stroud talking to his teammates. Third and three from the Houston 32. C.J. in the gun, one back boom. C.J. gets the snap. Here comes the blitz. C.J. firing downfield to his right. And Tank has it at the 40, the 30, the 20, 10, 5. Touchdown! Tank Dell to the house! Wow! 68 yards. The rookie scores. I saw that ball in the air, and 
as before CJ threw it, I looked and I saw a tank and I said to Mark, tanks wide open, but tanks head was turned because of the route that they had called on that. And luckily tank got his head around and CJ gave him a ball. He didn't fire it to him and he didn't lob it to him. It was kind of a in-between ball um, and landed and as it was coming down, Tank got his head. It was just perfect because Tank was able to turn his body, catch the ball in stride, and to beat everybody to the house that came in at number two. But on this day, it's number two. Normally, I've been number one. But when Andrew Beck runs back in the 85-yard kickoff return, incredulously, um, it's number one, no question. Brandon McManus will kick off from our left to right with Mike Boone back deep, one yard deep in the end zone. Last time he let it bounce, and this is going to be inside the 10. And this is dropped, picked up by Beck. Beck still going, running to the right side. Beck has some room, 25, 30, 35, 40. He's at the 50. He's at the 45 of Jacksonville. Beck across the 30, the 20, the 15, 10, 5. Are you kidding? Rock and roll. Touchdown, Houston. My goodness. Oh, my. Beck picked up the ball. The earth started shaking yes, in North Florida, and he ran to the right side and found the lane to the end zone. There are so many improbable aspects to that play, you can't even put them in one show. But Andrew Beck, I don't want to say he saved the day, but my goodness, he saved the day. What an unbelievable, unbelievable play, and hopefully there's more. I mean, it's improbable as it gets. Maybe about as improbable as a young man who was a walk-on delivering pizzas to pay for his schooling at the University of Wisconsin turning into an all-pro Hall of Fame player. That would be J.J. Watt. We celebrate him next right here on Texans Matchup. Yes, sir. Welcome back to Texans Matchup. And I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. And I want to take you back to a conversation that Mark and I had back on June 12th, 2023. That day's probably going to be remembered by a lot of people, especially a lot of J.J. Watt fans. Why? Well, if you remember, prior to that, that was a Monday, prior to that Monday, the Texans' Twitter account put out a silhouette of a player and just the date, June 12th, 2023. That was all they put out, and everybody was left to speculate and boy there was a lot of speculation about what that could be people were like oh we got a player we got this it turned out it was maybe even more important or more special than a player coming in or a hire of some sort it was jj watt was going into the ring of honor day and it was going to be this sunday october 1st 2023 and mark vandermeer and i decided we needed to spend some time talking about J.J., our memories of J.J., figured this would be a great spot to bring that conversation back to you. I mentioned the date of 6.12.2023 for a particular reason. That reason, which was brilliantly done, because on, was it Thursday or Friday? I think it was Friday, right? Yep. When our social media group just tweeted a silhouette of a Texans player and the date, and that was it. And I thought it was perfect because it was, you had no idea what it was. And people were speculating about a lot of different things. Jerseys, helmets, could be a new coach, new players, new somebody. What it was, was an announcement 
The 99 is going into the Ring of Honor. That's right, J.J. Watt coming back home. And if you haven't seen the videos, you need to go see them. J.J. discussing his time in Houston and how happy he's coming home. Our man Tyler Sutterth put out a tremendous video recapping J.J.'s career, narrated by Jim Nance. All of it. Mark, we do this on Monday sometimes. This is just going to open up our conversation. Yep. Gut reaction, 99, coming back home October 1st against the Pittsburgh Steelers so his brothers can be in the building for this. I think this is just absolutely tremendous. J.J. Watt going into the Ring of Honor. I don't know how we're going to do it yet because we've done them at the half with Mr. McNair and with Andre Johnson. And I don't know if you can do it at the half with T.J. If you want T.J. and Derek, presuming Derek is still on the team, if you want them to be with him when he's inducted, the ceremony we do at the half, that's is going to eliminate them, right? They've got to be in the locker room with the team. Of course. And J.J. would understand that, and he would get that. Of course. But maybe you do a pregame. I don't know. Maybe it's different this time. We'll see how they want to put it together. But I'm thrilled. How could I not be thrilled? It was so sad two years ago plus when he left and went to go play for the Arizona Cardinals. It was just the Texans going into a different dimension. And I'm always optimistic, and I'm always looking at the bright side of things. You know this. I'm the Norman Vincent Peel of Sports Talk Radio and Sports Broadcasting. But it was a different era of Texans history. It feels like we're coming out of that era in such a big way, just storming out of that era and swarming. Yeah. Because D'Amico gets hired. Draft day was what it was. Draft night, the opening night, then the rest of it, of course. And then you have this you have jj watt returning home where he belongs as a houston texan immortalized those who want the one-day contract or are complaining about it how could you complain about not having the one-day contract they just i guess both parties agreed let's just not do it that way this is way more important you get that today anyway you weren't going to be present for it and he's going to have a media availability so there you're going to get all that anyway yeah but immortalize them in the Ring of Honor. That's what matters here, and then ultimately Canton, of course. And that's that's coming. So twenty. I'm just I'm trying to. Last season was 2022. Mm-hmm. So five years, 2027. Now See? hopefully we're making a trip up there before that for 80, um, which should happen before that. But um, it's the fact that. In the next five years, we can be making a couple of trips up to Canton. Will be absolutely badass, and I'm I'm looking forward to that. This was this was 99's day, and the, what I tweeted. You you mentioned the Cardinals, and there are so many things to talk about with with JJ. I think some of the mo- the, the best stories I have end up being off the field or at the end of a game. In this case, but we went to go play Arizona at 21. It was the last time I've seen JJ, and. When he left here in early 21 to go to Arizona. So we see him the last game, and that's that. And it happens a lot of times, you know, in the NFL. It's kind of schools out, right? Right. Students go home for the summer. And, you know, we still come to work here at the building and in the building and do what we got to do. But we don't see those guys for three, four months. And then we have the desert, and then they're back for the season. We see them every day. So when J.J. played that last game against Tennessee, that was it. That was the last time that we had seen him for most of us. So he goes to Arizona. We're playing Arizona. I can't remember, week five, week seven. We go out to Arizona, and I've never done this at the end of a game, and I thought, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm, maybe I can catch a minute with DeAndre. Maybe I'd catch a minute with J.J. So I happened to see DeAndre first, and I talked to him, and that 
well, broke me up. And I turn around and I just thought, okay, well, can I get to JJ? And JJ had just finished talking to somebody and I just happened to catch his eye. He was about to go off the field and he stopped and he came back to me to shake my hand and give me a hug. And he, I just remember the only thing I remember him saying was, don't worry, John, it's going to be all right. Don't worry, it's going to be okay. And I'm like, how in the heck does he know to reassure me at this moment? Yeah, like, you know, it's right. hard. I mean, we just got crushed. So maybe he was, but it was like, it's going to be okay. And I tweeted today, well, now it's okay. Now it's okay because he's back where, where I think Houston fans know he belongs, where he probably down deep knew he belonged in this city. And it's weird because one of the things I thought about, Mark, I thought about this, and I don't know, maybe it's just the way that I'm wired. He was so good. He was so good in so many different ways. I always thought about that day when he would finally say, I'm done. I'm no longer playing for this team and, like, what that was going to be like. And I just, you know, when he retired, it was kind of that moment, too, of, like, oh, my God, like, he's the greatest I've ever seen live, and now I don't get to see him anymore. We don't Mm -hmm. get to see him anymore. It's kind of strange. But today, the Ring of Honor – you know, obviously, we get a little bit of a heads up and all that. So we kind of had a feeling. You know, we knew what the silhouette was all about. And there were a lot of people that kind of picked it out and knew it. Um, so we could be prepared with content and things like that. But it was just, it was like, yeah, it just, so much about it felt right. Yeah. Timing-wise, with everything that's going on this offseason, there was just so much about it that just felt right. Like it was the right, it's the right thing at the right time. I just always felt, Mark, we would be doing this in 25 or 26. You know, I thought it would longer. Were, yeah, I thought there would be a few more years. I think the toll of 17, 16, 17, and then part of 19. 19, and then 21. Yeah, 21. Yeah. Because Johnny, I, last year he stayed healthy for the most part, right? Yeah, 22, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think that that was, and I thought maybe that would carry him to another season. Like, well, I made it through. Right. And, One more, yeah. But he's been through it enough to know, hey, there are no guarantees. And he's not Andrew Luck in this way. Right. But I look at him in a Luck-like way. Some of the things that Luck or people talked about Luck experiencing, which was, do you really want to go through another long-term rehab? Correct. You've done it so many times. If it happens again. Now, people assume, ah, you just heal up. You'll be back in a few months. The money's great. Why wouldn't you do it? What they have to go through, they meaning those that have to recover to get back to the starting line of a game day, never mind the season, a game day, just to play a game, is so difficult, arduous, the way he works. Yeah, he felt like it was done. I mean, Andre's talked about this. You know it. As a player, you just know it. You know when it's time. He knew it was time. Now, back to us, because that's the most important thing. <laughs> he belongs to us, and it felt weird that he was a Cardinal. I have and, a picture that um, I think it was Michelle. I can't remember who took it. I have a picture shaking hands with him, like at that moment, of shaking hands with him yeah. at the end of the game, and he's in a Cardinals jersey, and I look at that. I'm, I'm perplexed by it. Yeah. Like I'm perplexed, like, what to do. It's a great picture. It's an odd-looking thing. It, it just is strange. And he played well there, but yeah. it's an odd-looking look. Same with DeAndre. It's kind of a sweet uniform in, in its own way, but it just doesn't look right on them to right. me. And for J.J. to be a Texan again, that's how I feel, and I think that's how people in the building feel. Right. He's a Texan again. Right. He's one of us, and I think the fans feel that way, and he said it. You know, I'm a Texan. And that is beautiful. It's very special to have the bond with the athlete again. It feels like, oh, we are one again. And, you know, Andre Johnson, it felt like that as well. 
because Andre became a Colt and then mm-hmm. a Titan mm. and ultimately came back to the Texans where he belongs. And it was such a good feeling because you, you if a player leaves, a player of that stature leaves, you're just kind of, I don't know, white knuckling it until they can be done with their career and you can absorb them back into your fold. And that's what's happened First with Andre Johnson years ago, and now with J.J. Watt. And it's a beautiful thing that he's going into the ring of honor. And I hope I get to do what I did with Andre Johnson and Mr. McNair, which is be up there Mm -hmm. and make the announcements and bring up the McNairs and see that red jacket put on and them getting inducted into the ring of honor. And make sure it's a size, whatever it is for Jay, they will. Right. They'll have the right size. They'll have the right size. Yeah. But there's no question. I I wrote a – it's actually – I didn't really writing an article because the article I wrote was after he retired. And I talked about, I said, I wouldn't tell that story about, you know, JJ and my son and, and shoes, uh, you know, so you can see the link to that. Cause I put that in the article, but it's really just a compilation of all the different times I did. I did Telestrator on, you know, play. And I, I guarantee you there are a dozen more. I just couldn't find them. I just, I, I found what I, I found what I could of, of things. And I remember going through kind of Telestrator think tank, like, okay, what am I going to do this week? What's a what's a good play to do? And I always knew, I always knew that, okay, spread the wealth, make sure that you kind of make sh- you you give as much love to everybody. Because the time, you know, there were, there were some guys making plays, and you know, dudes doing some things, and DeAndre was doing stuff on the offensive side, Will Fuller, and all that kind of stuff. So I always knew to spread the wealth. But my God, there were so many times that I would. I would go through and be like, I want to telestrate this of what JJ did today. Yeah. I want to telestrate this. I want to telestrate this play. And I found a few. And so you can see them in the article. It was the pick six against Detroit in 2020. Um, the 100th sack that he had. His 100th sack, which ended up coming against Jacksonville in 2020 as well. And I know a lot of people think about 2017 and they think, oh, that was a lost season because he got hurt against the Chiefs. But I did a telestrator of week three against the Patriots. And he does something in that game that was just otherworldly. First down at the New England 49-yard line. And a handoff to Mike Gillisley. Brought down for a loss by J.J. Watt. And I remember watching it. I remember watching it live going, okay, J.J. made another play. No surprise. Tackle for a loss or maybe like a stuff at the line of scrimmage. But when I watched it on film, I was, I was mesmerized by how incredible what he had just done was. It was, in, it was incredible. So I telestrated that. Um, and then, of course... The sack against Buffalo, the playoff game. Uh, and we actually had Jacob Martin. You'll hear that interview probably in the next couple of weeks that we did with Jacob Martin. And we were talking about that that Buffalo game. And Jacob has the big sack on Josh Allen at the end of the game or right before regulation's out. But J.J. has the sack that turns that game around. Third down and eight at the Houston 12. Loose punch right side. Allen takes the snap. On third down, he's got time, and he's sacked back at the 23-yard line by J.J. Watt, and the crowd erupts. And it's the last time that J.J. and T.J. actually were in NRG together because T.J. was up in the box watching the game. So I did those on Telestrator. The one I didn't do, and I know I have it somewhere, Mark. I just can't find it anywhere. But doing a Telestrator of the interception against the Bengals, the one that sort of signaled his arrival, if you will, because it felt like... After that play against the Bengals, his star went to a whole different stratosphere. I mean, it went to, a, I mean, obviously the next year is 20 sacks, he's defensive MVP, but it felt like that play triggered, even the next week against Baltimore, 
I know he was the defense was tremendous in that game, but he was great. But from that point on, he went to a different level. I wish I I wish I could find that Telstra film room that we did of that that pick six against Cincinnati because that thing is special. It is, and that off that postseason, I should say. I remember he said because I asked him in the off season, what did you learn? What was the difference between the rookie season regular campaign and the postseason campaign part of it, where he had, what, two and a half sacks and the pick six? And Brooks Reed had a couple of sacks, two and yep. a half sacks, I think, mm-hmm. in that postseason 2011. He said, I figured a few things out. <laughs> I figured a few things yep. out. So there it is. And we were talking with, and we'll hear this interview at some point soon, Jacob Martin, about figuring things out versus college in the NFL and that process. Well, obviously, J.J. went through it pretty quickly to become an elite player because within a year, he was an elite player in this league. I mean, yep. 2012, Defensive Player of the Year campaign, his second year right. in the NFL. Luck fakes the handoff, and he's being chased by Watt. J.J. has him down at midfield. Watt with the sack. The crowd erupts. And him figuring things out resulted in that. The plays were magnificent. You know, we talk about the touchdowns and the sacks and everything. The plays were magnificent day in, day out. The work ethic, the rub-off effect it had on others. My favorite Watt story is always going to be the Barry kids. It's always going to be the Barry kids. And whenever I'm on a show, out-of-town talk show, people say, you know, what about J.J. Watt? What can you tell us? They're looking for something different, right? And a lot of them haven't heard the story of the Barry kids whose parents tragically died in a car accident. And obviously the accident paid its toll on the kids. Yep. And Watt went to visit them in the hospital during the lockout offseason. No prompting from anybody. The organization couldn't even contact him. Took it upon himself to buy gear at Academy Sports and Outdoors. Brought it to the kids. And they became lifelong friends. And there was no publicity attached to that. Now, since it's got a lot of publicity once everybody got a hold of it. But maybe not nationally as much as it should have. Obviously, Harvey's the big national story. Yep. But the Barry kids is my favorite story because it shows you who he is. He did it because he thought it was right. He didn't do it for the publicity, just did it. And he's done countless things like that, things you'll never know about. You'll only hear about it maybe if you talk to the people involved and how are you ever going to find them, right? Right. Can you imagine? Because how many people ask you, Johnny, because people ask me all the time, hey, could you find a way to get this, whatever it is, to J.J. Watt to sign? And I'm thinking... How many people yep. who have remotely associated themselves with him over right. the years get that request, right. Right? right? So you can imagine how many are actually getting to him. Yeah. You know, and we have a whole department for stuff like that with uh, current players, and they've had a lot of work to do to filter things out. But I love that about him. Here's the other thing. When you have a local athlete, a local, he's a pro pro athlete, professional football player in our city, whether it's a Rockets player, Astros player, Texans player, whatever. But when you have a player like that, but they're also a huge national star and the process of them becoming a national star, it kind of feels strange. It's our guy. Right, right. And now everybody loves him and everybody's laying claim to him in a certain way. Right. And it feels strange. And I went through it with a team. I went through it with the Miami Hurricanes because they were my guys. Right. And we were these monstrous national stars in yep. 01. And it just felt strange to have that 
on top of it. I had it right. with Marcus Camby in college as well. It was kind of the college basketball equivalent of the Heisman Trophy winner in 1996. It feels weird when everybody is embracing him, when it's, hey, he belongs to us first. But it means he's really good, yeah. and it probably means your team is doing really well. And to me, you know he's such a great crossover star when you see all the other entertainment yeah. things that he's done. Right. When you see Saturday New Girl Live. and SNL and Bad Moms, yeah. which was great. The League. Yeah. All that stuff. Yeah. Really great stuff. And he's a good performer in that material. And it's fun to watch. It's been fun to watch. And, and obviously, we you know put a focus on what he did on the field because – that's what we do. We call the game. We analyze the game. We see the things that he's been able to do. And, you know, you, you kind of mentioned all the things. It, you know, I know what he did for, for my son. I, I had said I would never tell that story until he retired um, or was done. And so I put that story in an article, and you can see that's just kind of one of the stories of many. You talk about, you know, the Barry kids, you know, what he has meant to so, so many people in, in this town for so long. And I'm sure there are, there are media members, there are, you know, high school football coaches, there are business people that have had uh, a, a dealing with J.J. Watt, and they walk out of there going, oh, my God, like, he's for real. I got a text today from somebody um, asking a good friend of mine saying, it, just no BS here, like, behind the scenes is he as good a guy as he seems? And I'm like, the best. I mean, yep. the best. And, and we've probably run up, run into those those players over the years that, you know, how's that guy behind the scenes? Eh, you know, okay, well, all right. You know, trying not to give too much away, but no. He, he was the he was the real deal. He handles it so well because so many, people, so many people are pulling. I don't think, him. yeah, I don't think people understand how many people just want a piece. Hey, a selfie, uh, you know, hand, like this, Everybody wanted a right. piece of him. He can't no go to the store, Johnny. What. Remember, remember Hard Knocks? Yeah. 2014. Not the 2015 Hard Knocks, which I thought he was hilarious in 2015. But I remember in 2014, Falcons. this was before he has the 2014 season. Mm-hmm. And they show him coming over the bridge over Kirby to get to practice. And it's this really dramatic scene. Bruce Matthews is no ordinary dad. He's a Hall of Fame tackle. But like all dads, he worries. Today, he has good reason. Man, I remember seeing it on Hard Knocks like, yeah, all right, that's our guy. Like, he's our guy. And that was my first year down on the sideline. And I just, the things I saw him do, and it really crystallized the Thursday night against the Colts when... I'm not talking 30 seconds before Andrew Luck snaps the ball. You just instinctively said, come on, J.J., make a play. Or it's Watt time or something to that extent. I think I said it's Watt time. It's Watt time. Luck, shotgun, one back Bradshaw. Luck drops the snap, and there's a chase for the ball. And guess who's got it? J.J. to his left, 35-30, 25 20, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown! you got to be kidding me. J.J. Watt scores, and this place is going crazy. I've never seen anybody in a game of football that could do something on command like that. (laughs) He didn't know you did it, but it was like, what? He was that in that season in particular. He was 
every single I, game. I think I said it several times during the Buffalo playoff game, and it finally happened. At the right uh, time. So I can't take credit for that one. It's like, it's what time? It's what time again. But, it's but what time now. Now would be a good time, JJ. And then he makes yeah. the big play. And he did. He would do that. He would do that on command. And I hate the fact that you know, that we were sort of all cheated in 16 and 17, in 19 even. We're not seeing him at his, at his greatest because at his greatest, my God. It was almost indescribable what he could do on a on a field. I still, I still say. Now I don't think a lot of people will bring this up. I still say the one of the greatest individual performances I've seen in a game was what he did against Cleveland in 2014. Mallet throws left side of the end zone. Watts JJ Watt. He makes the catch, but is it in? No signal yet. Long conversation. Touchdown. J.J. Watt with a great catch, left side of the end zone. He went out on a fade route, caught a touchdown. He got two 15-yard roughing the punter <laughs> penalties. He then had two and a half sacks. Hoyer gets the snap. Here comes Watt. The ball is out. Hoyer picks it up, and he's going to be sacked. J.J. Watt knocked it out and got him. It's fourth down. I think it was four TFLs and completely shut the game down. Hoyer under center. Here's the toss to Ben Tate. Watt is there in the backfield and brings down Tate for a big loss on the play. Two TFLs on the series here for J.J. Watt. And we absolutely had to have it. On a game that, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, Alfred Blue was running like 38 times in that game. But He had had about a buck 50 in that game. Yeah, 38 for a buck 50. It was like a typical Alfred Blue game. But Watt... I'm like, what could what could the man not do? And I'll never forget the two 15-yard penalties were hilarious. But it was like he went out and made up for him every single play the rest of the game. And it was like he didn't have to because he had already done enough. And that was a game we had to win. And I remember the, the feeling of going back on that plane, just like, my God. And I looked at the, the book on the way home, the, the game book, and I remember thinking, and I think I said this to you sitting across the, the aisle from me, and I said, you know, I've never seen this before, Mark. He's got a number in every single one of the defensive categories. Mm-hmm. Like, I've never seen that. Everybody's got all these zeros, zero tackles, zero sacks. He's got a number in every single tack category. Tackles, up solo, the stat sheet. Every single one. Every single game. It was incredible to watch. When we get back, we'll take one final look at week three of the NFL right here on Texas Matchup. All right, we got one final segment of this edition of Texas Matchup, and it is going to be a quick one. Watch this. 90 seconds to give you what happened in week three in the NFL. The 49ers beat the Giants, hammered them 30-12 to on Thursday night. Colts with a Matt Gay field goal beat the Ravens 22-19. Browns all over the Titans, 27-3. The Dolphins put a 70-burger on the Broncos, 70-20. to The Patriots keep beating the Jets, 15-10. to The Bills hammered the Washington Commanders, 37-3. to The Lions go 20-6, to go to 2-1, and beating the Falcons, dropping them to 2-1. and Jordan Love led a fourth-quarter comeback. To beat the Saints 18-17 in Lambeau. The Chargers and Vikings tripped all over themselves at the end of the game with clock management. And the Chargers still win 28-24. The Seahawks scored 37 just like the Texans over the Panthers. Beating a Bryce Young-less Panthers squad 37-27 in the upset of the day. (laughs) Cardinals beat the Cowboys 28-16. That definitely was not in the script. The Chiefs beat the Bears 41-10. The Chiefs could have probably scored 70 as well, but called the dogs off. Steelers, who the Texans will see on Sunday, beat the Raiders 23-18. Then Monday night, 
25-11. That seems like a scoregami. Eagles beating the Buccaneers. Buccaneers, too many turnovers. Eagles' defense was stout. And finally, the Bengals did not look good, but... They beat the Rams 19-16. That was week three in the NFL. And that is your show, Texas Matchup. Appreciate you, appreciate you guys for listening. We'll see you next time. And as always, go Texans.